emphasize for the past few days, and I want to re-emphasize this, and then we'll have prayer begin, is that if you have a sexual problem, abusive problem, a lying problem, a manipulation problem, a hypocrisy problem, all that is simply symptom. Somebody say symptom. It's symptom. In other words, if I start, <coughs> or is my problem that I have a cough or a sneeze? Now, there's something in my body that's causing me to act out in that way. Isn't that right? You, you can also say that those things are the fruit. The fruit. The fruit of something. So, the fruit. So an apple tree is not an apple tree because it bears apples. It's because at the core of it, it's an apple tree. And even if it never bears any apples, it's still an apple tree. And so it's the fruit. And a lot of us have fruit of lying, fruit of stealing, fruit of acting out, fruit of sexual abuse, abusing individuals, or, or whatever that fruit might be. And all of that is, is a, it's an indicator that something on the inside has gone wrong. No matter what it is. And I think I'm, I'm going to start first, and then we'll go with Pastor Lord, and we'll try to make this thing plain and clear. By now, do you have a handout? Does everybody have a handout? No. All right. That means we ran out, huh? Did we run out? We have, if you need one, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. And we'll see they get it to you. We at least want you to be clear. Tonight is probably the most important message that you're going to get all week long, at least in terms of practicality, the pragmatics. How are we going to put this into practice? How can we get over this thing? All right. Um, I'm a fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist, or is it five? Mom, what is it? It's a whole lot. I think, I think we were on the morning star. Uh, you're not Adventist, you don't know what that means. I, mean, I think we were part of like the founders of the church, the first slaves that joined the Adventist church. We, I got pedigree in the Adventist church. Um, got, come from good stock, great family, great home. Um, had a great upbringing. You've heard my story a thousand times. For those of you who have not heard it, um, I tell people all the time that uh, I did not grow up in the ghetto. The ghetto grew up in my house. Um, I'm the only biological child out of five. Uh, my father is a preacher who you met uh, two weeks ago. And my mother's attorney who spent most of her time working for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I cannot, I cannot think of one thing in my upbringing that I can say contributed to my behavior from what I could see. But fast forward, and as sort of the golden child of the family, um, the middle child, but the only biological. I was always the one that didn't get in trouble. Um. <laughs> well, look, I, I didn't take the Mercedes and crash it like my brother did. You know, I didn't run off. I didn't run off with anybody like my sister did. <laughs> but I had a smart mouth. All right, I confess. I had a smart mouth as a child. Uh, as a matter of fact, one humorous story is I remember one time we were... Um, it was a Sabbath, and uh, we were uh, having guests over the house. My parents always cooked and had a bunch of people over. And um, I don't know, I must have been six years old. And um, uh, I had gotten smart with my mom. And my mom told me, she said, um, in front of everybody, she said, Myron, take your butt upstairs and, and go and pray and ask the Lord to help you. And then she said, you come back downstairs. And so, of course, I went upstairs. And if, if I recall, I might have been up there for about... 20 or 30 minutes, even at six years old, just calling out to God. And uh, <laughs> just to prove that to you, when I was done, I came downstairs and my mom asked me in front of everybody. She said, now, what did the Lord tell you? And I said, he said, keep up the good work. <laughs> so, that, okay, I did. I mean, you don't need to be here tonight. You know, <laughs> I didn't have a mouth. But for the most part, when I went to high school, I was like the religious vice president for the school. I was preaching and so forth and so on. And... You know, everybody else was saying, you're going to be a preacher, but I didn't want to be a preacher because my dad was a preacher and I wanted to have a little money. And so I just didn't accept the call. Well, by the time I got to Oakwood, I finally decided that I wanted to accept the call to ministry. Now, let me back up a little bit. Something happened to me as a kid that kind of spurred on my acting out when I became a preacher. For those of you know, I was a preacher starting out in the ministry, ordained who had a serious porn problem. When my wife was asleep at night and my kids were asleep, I was looking at porn. And this thing got so out of control that I actually got scared of what, what happened next. 
I began to pray and ask God to help me to stop. I did everything I was taught to do. I began to read my Bible more. I would try to preach harder, um, but it wouldn't go away. Um, what I didn't realize, and you know, Mom, I began to put this into perspective later on in life. Whatever happened to me as a kid, um, I think precipitated some of the behavior. When I was in elementary school, there was a young lady there. All the boys were in the bathroom, and she told all the boys to pull down your pants. And she went down to each one of us and grabbed our penises. And at that time, that wasn't considered like sexual abuse. You know, it was just kids acting bad. But I guess in today's vernacular, it would be considered sexual abuse. And this kind of thing happened a lot in school when I was a kid. But whatever happened, it, it turned something on in my mind where I just wanted women and I wanted them as often as I possibly could. And that memory started sort of this journey for me. Well, here's the thing, and this is the kind of the point that we want to kind of transition to. Preaching, getting all the engagements. I was preaching at Youth Congress. I was, I mean, I was kind of for, I hate to even say it this way, but I was kind of blowing up. All the time I was blowing up, I was really having this battle with pornography. Just so happened that my mom um, my, my wife um, was pregnant and we weren't you know, really having sex like I felt like we should. And that thing clicked on again. And I said, I got to do something. Um, then I began to feel, when, once you look at porn, you begin to feel inadequate about your sex life. You're like, man, look what they're doing. I ain't doing that. And the stuff I'm seeing, I'm definitely hearing that from my spouse. Uh, maybe I need to work on this some more. So I, be, be, I kind of convinced myself that what I was doing was, was helping me, but it wasn't. And it began to get worse. i never forget, fast forward, the Holy Spirit said to me, tell your wife. I heard somebody preach a sermon and say, you need accountability. And he said, tell your wife. I didn't know who else to tell. And so I didn't muster up the strength. I just kept praying and reading the Bible and trying to preach harder and doing ministry and thought that would stop. And maybe for months at a time, it would stop. And then finally, um, I don't know what happened. I just mustered up the strength to tell, tell my wife. I want to take a moment right now to just thank God for Shanae Edmonds. And God for thank God for my wife just I mean like I hadn't even done anything wrong I mean she just kicked in the gear she prayed for me at that spot and I wish I could tell you that was the last time it happened but it continued to happen after that and needless to say it was because of that crisis that moment where God confronted me and God made me see myself, and at least at that point, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of a loving wife and friends like Seth and others who would challenge me that I needed to change my life, God put me on this journey. And by the grace of God, it's been four long years, and I call it, that I have been pouring free, and I give God glory because of it. Something he said, which is critical for us to understand, is that um, in the struggle, um, as you all already affirmed that we all have had struggles, that there has to be some catalyst, something that will catapult us out of, something that will jolt us out of our stupor. And often it's a crisis that the Lord allows to come into our lives for that reason. And when I reflect on my experience, Similar to Pastor Edmonds, except without the wife. <laughs> um, I was single. I've been single um, in ministry for the first six years of my ministry, five and a half years of my ministry. 
And my experience with pornography and with uh, sexual, uh, not so much addiction, but just sexually acting out with um, um, immoral relationships and with pornography and masturbation and that, everything that comes with it, my experience began when I was, uh, I want to say, a, a freshman in college. Yeah. And of course, dorm room, internet's all the way live. And so my friends and I, we would get in there and that's just what we, that's what we did. We would just look at porn and, and talk about it and dissect it. And for me, it went from something that I knew in my mind I shouldn't be doing and I didn't want to do, but had no real power to, to get victory over. Now, mind you, from the time I was a freshman in college, you know, I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. I knew that I wanted to be a, uh, a minister. And so I was going to school for that. And yet my desire to serve the Lord really had no power to contain the, uh, the flesh. It really had no power to control the flesh. And so going through school, it was something that I often did um, throughout weeks or months, you know, uh, engaging in um, just immorality, as the Bible calls it. And it's funny because in my mind, I always felt like, man, when I get my own church and I stand behind the pulpit and I preach my first sermon, that somehow I'll be victorious. I felt like I'm just going through, you know, this little thing. But as soon as I get my own church, I become like the pastor. I'm able to shake this monkey off my back. I felt like there was some power that came from the pulpit and from standing behind it. And uh, I was disappointed. (laughs) Because after I, I got my first church, I recognized there's no power in this pulpit. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and the same baggage and the same just, just um, struggle, I took it with me straight up into the pulpit. And for the first three years of my ministry, I struggled with it. Um, and it's funny because in my life, it didn't just stop with pornography. It didn't just stop with masturbation, but it also played itself out into the relationships that I would engage in, Um, the young ladies that I would date, um, the young ladies that I would talk to. It played it out. It played itself out in that realm. And so as a result of, you know, whenever you deal with pornography, you're you're very non-committed to that thing. You watch it when you want it. And when you don't want it anymore, what do you do? You turn it off. You cut it off and you go about your business. And that same spirit of non-committal, non-response, not being responsible, um, not caring about what other people think or other people's feelings. It played itself out into the relationships. And so I found myself in one relationship after another where I was non-committal, not making any types of um, definite decisions concerning the future, my future with a young lady. And yet I still expected to have all of the benefits and blessings that come from uh, a relationship. Uh, And so as a result, you know, and this is something the Lord has really dealt with me on as a result. um, I mean, let me just be honest. I mean, just a lot of a lot of casualties along the way. A lot of women who got hurt because of my noncommittal ways and me wanting to engage, but yet not wanting to commit and wanting not sure and kind of going back and forth in my mind and. And as a result, um, it left a lot of people hurt and wounded and upset and frustrated and bitter. Um, and it's something that God has, as I have continued to grow in as a man and grow in ministry, that God has given me a victory over that. So that in my spirit, I now recognize that love is not an emotion that you can flip on and on whenever you want to. But love is a choice that you make. And you make a choice to be with one person for the rest of your life, even when you don't feel like it, even when you want to leave, even when, you know, everything that that you're used to doing kicks in and now says, "Okay, you've been here long enough. Now it's time to leave. You say, no, I made a choice and I'm going to be here. It's so funny because in one relationship that I was in, and the relationship was back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. My mom came to me one day, and I praise God for a godly mother. Uh, she came to me one day, and she said, Seth, what are you doing? And I said, what? I mean, we're just kind of, you know, we're trying to figure it out. She says, no. She says, you're practicing divorce. Wow. 
She said, every time you get with her and then you all break up and you get back together and you break up and you get back together and you break up. She says, you're literally practicing divorce. So if you decide to get married, it's going to be so easy for you to leave because you've been leaving throughout the whole relationship. And when she said that, it jolted something with inside of me. I recognized, man, this how true this is. And so I just really started, you know, crying out to God, looking to God for victory. There was one time um, when. I was in ministry. I was pastoring. I was at my house single by myself, of course. And um, I had looked at pornography. I had I had acted out and I stood in the mirror and I said, God, I want victory. I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. Mind you now, I'm, I'm, I'm going before the people I'm preaching and I'm leading in prayer. And I just I just felt the conflict. I felt the cognitive dissonance. I felt the 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 the, the split personalities. I felt the the hypocrisy. You know, I felt the hypocrisy behind it. And I cried out. I said, Lord, I, I'm tired of this and I don't want this to be a part of my life. I recognize that this is not your purpose, your plan. This is I'm not living in your ideal. I am not in your perfect will right now. And God, as I was looking in the mirror and the mirror was looking back at me, I heard God say, it's clear today, Seth, you will never get victory until you tell somebody. I said, Lord, you've got to be crazy. I ain't telling nobody. I mean, and if I did think to tell someone, who would I tell? Because, you know, as Pastor Anderson shared with us on Wednesday, I'm a pastor. You know, um, I'm supposed to have victory. I'm supposed to be walking in. I'm supposed to be an overcomer and leading by example. And God just kept telling me, you'll never get victory until you tell someone. Um, And for months, I wrestled with that. But it was a truth that rang so loud in my ears. And I wanted victory so bad. And I had experienced so much defeat. I mean, have you ever been there before where you want you try and you try and you try and you try and try? And And it's like it's like you you mess up. And right after you mess up, you say, man, I I promise I'm never going to do it again. Has anyone ever, maybe I'm the only one, yeah, you prom- I'm never going to do it again. And you have this renewed interest and this renewed vigor. I mean, you just feel like key man, just like, I, 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 I'm not going to do it anymore. And then a few moments will lapse, maybe a day, maybe a few hours, maybe a week, maybe a month, and you find yourself right back in that slump. And um, it's the roller coaster of life, of sin that the devil takes us on. And uh, it got to the point where I said, okay, Lord, fine, I'll tell someone. I had a best friend who was living in D.C., and I called him up one day, and I said, man, listen, I just want to talk. Um, got some stuff going on in my life, and I just want to, you know, I'm struggling in certain areas. I'm struggling um, sexually. I'm struggling. And he said to me, he said, man, I'm going through the exact same thing. Was that me? <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't you. It wasn't you. He said, he said, man, he said, I'm going through the exact same. It was funny because we were like trying to fill each other out because no one wanted to say it first. And so we were like, okay. And so it's like we kind of both said it together, you know. Um, and he said, man, I'm going through the exact same thing. And from that point forward, he and I started linking up every single day and praying together on the phone. Every morning, we started praying together. You know, I would hold him accountable. Or I would ask him those tough questions. Have you masturbated today? Have you looked at pornography today? You know, and he would ask me those tough questions. And Or are you pure? I had a friend of yeah. mine. He just asked me. He wouldn't ask me if I, if I looked at pornography and stuff. He'd say, are you pure? Right. I mean, have you lusted in your heart? Of course, yeah. that answer ended up being no a whole lot of times. Right. But at least it kept me, kept yeah, me and, accountable. And that's, at the, that's, at the, that's the point. That's the principle of all sexuality is purity. Not, I didn't look at porn, but yeah, you were thinking about it. So that doesn't make it any better, you know. Um, and so that's a good, that's a good point. So he would ask me these questions. I would ask him these questions to the point where, and I, and I have to be honest with you, it wasn't the accountability alone that gave me victory. I want to be very clear. It wasn't just because I told someone that I was just victorious, but it was the accountability coupled with, I mean, just really relying on the power of God coupled with me just longing. I wanted something more from my life. And so it was like all of these things came together and one by itself was not sufficient. But when you brought them all together, it was a, it was a mighty force that the devil could not deny, that the devil could not reckon with. And God was able to give me victory. Um, when I shared it with my friend, it gave me courage to share with other friends. I told Pastor Edmonds and I shared with other friends. And so I had a community of brothers around me who would hold me accountable. And so if I didn't feel like calling one friend, friend one day, I, someone else was bound to call me. You know? And so I had to set up that, those boundaries or that, that, those, that safety net around my life. And by the grace of God for you know, pretty much for all of the last, I've been in ministry six years, for all of the last three years of my, of my ministry, God has allowed me to remain porn free. And I praise God for it. And I just bless his name. You know, 
and, and I recognize now that, I, that now that I'm married is I just recognize how devious the devil is and how he really tries to set us up to destroy what God intends for us to experience. Um, I mean, why do we tell you this? Because we know that, I mean, the devil is not a respecter of persons. He's coming after all of us. He wants all of us to fail, all of us to fall. And we just pray that through our experience, someone else can stand on our shoulders and, and, and can make it over and make it in. Um, also, we recognize that in life, if we're going to experience, and this is where we want to get very practical tonight. If, I mean, how many of you all want victory over sin in your life? I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, we want victory. In fact, the Bible tells us in Jude that we serve a God. And I said Wednesday, we serve a God who is able to keep us from falling. I mean, how many of us believe in here that it's possible to live a sinless life? Do you believe that? I I firmly believe that. And and it's possible for us to live a life where where falling and struggling and all of these things that are now part of lives don't have to be a part of our lives. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be righteous. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. God wants us to experience victory. He wants us to be more than a conqueror. So this is God's ideal. And I love that text in Jude where it says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. I'm saying, Lord, this is what your word says. The Bible says that, we, that, that, that in Christ we are, we always triumph in Christ. And so if God can keep me from falling and I always triumph in Christ, why is it that myself and the majority, most of the church is constantly struggling with sin? I believe that is one of the things that should distinguish the church from everyone else is because God is giving us victory and people can look at our lives and they can see that we're walking in victory, that we're walking in holiness and that we are filled with the love of Christ. And they say, man, I want what you have. I want that victory. And so we, we, we want to share this evening just some practical things that you can experience, some practical things that you can make a part of your life that will equip you, that will hopefully open your eyes so that you can truly experience victory in Christ Jesus. Um, the first thing, and, you know, we kind of we like hesitate to give steps. Um, but if, if you don't mind, just indulge us. We're offering tonight three ways to experience victory. Three ways. How many did we say, everybody? The first thing we kind of tried to illustrate with our story, the first thing that has to happen to you, and notice now, this is really, this is very important. The first thing that has to happen for you in order to get to a place where you're free, everybody shout free. Free. Come on, everybody shout free. free. Is you must experience a crisis. Crisis. And I guess the way we said that we're going to say it is you need to learn how to understand the crisis Mm. and embrace the crisis. For example, when God was trying to get my attention, when I almost got caught and embarrassed, when I had to when I had to bust myself in order to face my wife. God was putting me through a crisis. In other words, he was trying to get me to a place where I got uncomfortable with my situation. There are a lot of you right now that are in crisis situations. I don't know if it's your marriage. I don't know if it's an abuse thing. I don't know if you have a husband that's looking at porn. I don't know. Whatever the crisis is, I don't care if it's a health challenge. Anytime there's a crisis, that's always a cue that God is trying to do something. That's right. That God is trying to say something. The Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Amen? In other words, every single negative, appearingly, and one of the things you hear me say all the time, we got to stop trying to blame the devil for the stuff that's going on in our lives. Sometimes the most difficult situations we're going in, the most humiliating ones, are God's way of trying to expose us so that he can get us to a place of victory. Yeah. John, John 16 says, in this world you shall have what? Tribulation. Tribulation. So, I mean, that's like God, he's giving us a heads up. Like, you're going to go through some stuff. You're going to experience some hard times. You're going to go through some crisis. But the Bible then says, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And so I almost, I, you know, and I look at, I choose to look at it like this, that God knows that because we're going to go through tribulation, 
Not because he wants us to go through tribulation, but because this is just a sinful world. And whenever there is sin in humanity, there will be drama. There will be strife. There will be struggling. That's the nature of sin. So God says, because in this world you're going to go through tribulation, what I'm going to do in my divine mind, God says, is I'm going to calculate the tribulation into your life. And so I'm going to use the tribulation to, to bring you to the point where I want you to be. And so God, I mean, a lot of times we look at stuff like, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? And God, why me? And oh, why my problems? And why this? And, and we sit in our pity potty and we complain and we pout about everything that's going wrong in our life. But I really believe that God is standing back and God's saying, listen, you live in a sinful world. And in this world, it rains and the sun comes out on everybody. And just because you call yourself Christian does not exempt you from some type of drama in your life. However, when you become a Christian, what it does do, it God then says, okay, now that you're mine, I'm going to take all your drama and I'm going to work it out so that it works out for your good. So because you go through something, that's not a reason for us to throw in the towel. That's a reason for us to recognize that God is trying to do something in our lives. And so if I was molested or abused or struggling or have an addiction in my life, I have to take a step back and say, okay, God, how are we going to use this? for my good and for your glory because everything that we go through on this planet is for one thing and one thing only and that's for God's glory God wants glory from our situations and so you know when I looked at my life I'm saying okay God why am I struggling why am I going through these things it wasn't just a yeah it was a choice that I was making and a lot of us we are where we are because of our dumb decisions if you're honest with yourself, 99% of the stuff, Amen. The, the 99, <laughs> the, the 99% of the things that you're in is because you jumped into that thing. You, you found yourself and it, so you didn't, it wasn't like it just fell in your lap. No, you went searching for some things. <laughs> but I still think that we serve a God who is wise enough to calculate all of that stuff in and work it out for our salvation. Well, he already saw it. I mean, he saw, he saw the bad decisions we would make. He saw that I was going to get into porn. He saw that you were going to have an affair. He saw that you were going to beat your wife. The good thing about God is that he sees all that in advance, and he still says, I ain't going to give up on you. He said, I'm going to ta- take the negative. Yeah. I'm going to take the negative. Then, and, 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 and Pastor Lord is talking about trials. A lot of times we talk about trials within the context of stuff that happens to us. Uh, I like how he's now talking about how we talk about the trials that we precipitate upon ourselves. I'm, I'm a firm believer in this, that if you are struggling, we really talk about temptation and struggling and overcoming. Hear me, everybody. If you have a particular struggle, if you don't confess it, God will expose it. He's so desperate to save you that he will not leave you incognito in your mess while you are groveling and on your way to hell because you're more concerned about your reputation than you are about your character. God, God, God will straight up humiliate you on purpose just to get you to a point where you fall on your face and you cry out to him. And so this is one of the reasons why we're saying this. The first thing that has to happen, even before you pray. Even before, even before you accept Christ, I know some people are saying, well, the first step that you're supposed to follow if you're going to experience victory is you've got to go to church or you've got you to work harder or you've got to pray harder. And that's the stuff that I had been doing and that a lot of us are doing right now and we're still struggling in the sin. The very first thing that has to happen is something that you can't even create. The first thing that has to happen has already happened for some of us, but we basically have not understood what God was doing. And one of the things that a friend of mine would say all the time is this. He says, never expect more out of others than you expect out of ourselves. When bad stuff happens to us, and I'm saying when it happens to us by somebody else, the first thing we do is we start saying, they ain't right. They're not supposed to do this. Look at what my husband is doing. Look at what my wife is doing. Look at what the church is saying. And I firmly believe that every trial is God's way of giving us a window into something about us that needs to change every time. And so notice this now. This is crucial. Before you can even move into victory, you gotta, you gotta, you have to get to a place where they say in, in, in AA and in 12 step programs, you gotta come rock bottom. Man, where are the people who don't mind admitting that I'm the one that's got the issue? 
that it's not them, it's not somebody over there, and we're no longer trying to cover up, we're no longer trying to maintain this thing. Pastor Lord, you know this is my burden. I don't understand why, help me out with this. Why do church people try so hard to maintain the facade that there's nothing wrong? When everything we've read in scripture, confess your faults to one another that we might be healed. When we look at David, David had to get cold busted by Nathan. You are the man. You're the adulterer. You're the murderer. You have to get busted before you can get healed because only humiliated people ask God desperately for salvation. What's the problem? I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is what it boils down to. You, you have cancer that's eating away at your bones and you go to the doctor, Jesus, and you say, listen, I need you to, I, I'm, I'm going to die. He recognizes you're going to die. But when you go to the operating table, you say, no, don't touch me. I don't want to take my clothes off. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Don't, 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 don't open me up. And, God, and Christ saying, listen, if I'm going to fix you, I've got to lay you wide open. I've got, to, I've got to open your parts and expose everything that's going on in your life. We talked about it yesterday, that, that the strength of sin is in its secrecy. And so as long as you keep things a secret, that strength will grow. You know the, 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 the principle, the biological uh, 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 principle of nature that mold grows in darkness? If you turn a light on some mold, you know that it will stop growing. And so it is with sin that God says, when I expose sin in your life, I do it for the sole purpose of undermining the very foundation of what strength in sin. And that is its secrecy. And so God is saying, I have to expose. I don't, I'm, I'm still struggling with it myself, Pastor, to understand why we are so afraid of, you know, at the, at the bottom line, it comes down to self. That we don't want to be known. We don't want to be known. We don't want nobody to know that it's that bad. And I'm just telling you right now. Let me just throw this out here. Y'all hear me saying it all the time. Listen, unless, and when you're saying exposed, it's not just God looking at you, putting a light on you, saying, right. hey, you're a sinner. You have a problem. You say, oh, I'm exposed now. You can't have real exposure unless somebody else knows. Yeah. And the crisis, generally the crisis that we go through causes our stuff to start bleeding out. Mm-hmm. I mean, your stuff will come out. The Bible says, whatever happens in darkness will we'll come, come to light. light. Now, what I decided that I was going to do, and I'm not saying this to make myself look righteous, I said, I'm going to bust myself. You remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? She was caught yeah. in She was caught in adultery. And a lot of times when we hear that story, we say, oh yeah, they set her up, the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees are so wicked, they're so bad. But let's be honest, she did have a sex problem. Mm-hmm. She wasn't getting raped by that guy she was sleeping with. She was set up, but she followed through with the setup. Come on, say amen, somebody. But watch this now. When they dragged her into church with half her clothes on, the Bible says, caught in the very act and put in front of Jesus, it wasn't until she got busted until she got into the presence of God. Somebody had to see her mess to actually get her to a place where God would work in her. And the very thing that we fight against, God is trying to do. I wish we had a church where people could stand up during testimony time and say, pray for me. I got a masturbation problem. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor, they said, Pastor, this place is becoming like, it's becoming like Jerry Springer. People are getting up and they're putting all their business out in the street. So let me ask you a question. So would you rather them go on Jerry Springer and put their business out here? Last time I checked, the church is supposed to be a hospital. People are supposed to admit that they are sick. But if people always find it uncomfortable to admit they have problems, then nobody's going to get help. And that's why God's got to send a crisis your way to put your stuff out there. For some of us, for some of us, the crisis is, is more along the lines of Jonah's experience. Jonah knew that he was wrong. He knew he had no business on, his, on this ship on the way to Tarsus. But God sent a storm and, and basically busted Jonah wide open and said, okay, not only am I going to put you in the belly of a whale, but I'm going to let those that you are around, they're going to see your mess. And so for some of us, the, the, the drama that we're going through, it's because we just refuse to be obedient to the voice of God. And God says, OK, either you can confess and you can come out or I'm going to bring you to light. But at the end of the day, God does what he does in order to save us. I firmly believe that some of us, God, he woos with his cords of love into his arms. And others of us, Christ has to snatch like brands from the fire. And Christ says, listen, either you can come out. Or I'm going to bust you out. Well, most of us don't learn by obedience. If, how many of you guys learn by obedience? <laughs> I, I obey because through trial and experience. The thing mm-hmm. is, in order to get us to obey the will of God, God has got to jack up our stuff. And, right. uh, you know, the prime example I use all the time. And listen, 
God didn't have any such. God has like plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I mean, if they're, if they're more than 26 letters, tell me about them. But God is never confounded by our screw ups. Yep. There's never a time God's like, oh, my goodness, he's a preacher. That wasn't my plan for him to look at porn. What am I going to do now? God had already seen that thing before it happened. He had already figured out a strategy, much like the GPS system. If you go out the wrong direction, you make the wrong turn, that thing going to recalculate and you're going to find your way. And this is what God is trying to do with us. But again, we need to go to the next point. But brothers and sisters, understand that in the crisis that God is putting you in, for example, Pastor, talk for a minute about the disciples when they were in the boat and the storm came. What are some of the things that happened with the disciples? What came out of them when the storm came? Because they were some boastful dudes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, number one, storm came. There was this element of the disciples trying, number one, trying to save themselves. Mm. So the storm Mm -hmm. came, and what did they do? They find themselves uh, taking buckets and trying to haul the water out and do everything they can do to try to save themselves. Jesus in their sleep. Jesus in their sleep. So, and I don't know if you want to go on to the next point at this point, or you still want to go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, so, so the disciples are at this point where they're trying to haul this water out of the ship to the point where they recognize that their situation is so bad that there's nothing they can do to save themselves. So they and finally so, say, right. So, so it gets to a point where they look around them th- themselves and they say, okay, we've done all that we can do. Jesus is sleeping. Let's at least go to him and see what he can do. And so they go to Jesus and they go to Jesus and what do they do? They wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, why are you slumbering? Why are you sleeping? Do you care not that we perish? And Jesus wakes up and I can just imagine in his mind, he's thinking, listen, I've been here the whole time. Why are you worried about your situation and your circumstances? Why, why are you even, why are you even calculating into the scenario? Your death. I'm in the boat. And so Jesus wakes, they wake Jesus up. He stands up and what does he say? Peace be still. (laughs) Peace be still. So this second point, after you have gone through a crisis, what many of us try to do in our crisis is we try to deliver ourselves. We try to white knuckle it. We try to dig our feet into the, dig our heels into the ground and say, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Or I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it. Only to realize that there is no victory in our own efforts to overcome sin in our lives. Do I got a witness in the house of God? You got to give up the fight. There is no victory in your own efforts to overcome sin in your life. Preach that. Preach that. Can can we tag on this like old school wrestling? Can I jump in the ring now? Check this out now. Now, this is not something that's commonly taught in in church. Church tells you, uh, uh, fight harder. Just, I mean, just keep praying. Uh, Stay encouraged, sister. Just keep coming to church. And listen, I'm not saying that's not good stuff. I didn't see so-and-so in church and I don't know how many long. That's the the most thing you worried about? Listen, what God requires us to do, after after he exposes us, God first makes the first move. Somebody say first move. First move. God makes the first move. Somebody say God makes the first move. God makes. What is his first move? He comes and jacks up your life. Period. He got to. You ain't going to call on him if you don't. The second thing that happens is when he jacked stuff up, and see, that's what happened in the storm. When the storm came, the disciples, all that talk about how faithful they were to God and how strong they were to God, they were on the boat whining like little babies. And God used that storm to expose their lack of spiritual connection with God. So the first thing we got to understand is I can't fight this thing by myself. I can't handle it. This thing is too big for me. Even if it's just as simple as I lie every now and then, that's too big for you. Even if it's just as simple as I look at porn, but I don't commit, I don't, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't care what it is, how small or how big. I can't, some of you can't wake up in the morning and spend time with God. It's too big for you. You have got to get to a point where you give up and admit, I cannot manage this thing. I can't do it. I got to give up. Are we there yet? Is it, is the church of God at a point where we're willing to, relinquish our attempts to save ourselves <laughs> we've got to get there saints of god put john fifteen five on the screen we've got to get there we've got to get to the point where we have no confidence in the flesh where we don't believe that there is anything good with inside of us. In fact, and I know the pastors talked about it before, but if you look very closely at Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, it, it, it paints for us such a clear picture of the, of the nature of the struggle and, the, and our inability to gain victory. When Paul's saying, listen, the things I want to do, what happens? I don't do, I and do don't it. think the things I don't want to do, what happens? I find myself doing I find it. myself constantly doing. So, so then Paul concludes, I find in Romans 7 that there is a law of sin working inside of me. What Paul is saying is that there is something inside of me that constantly brings me to a point to constantly do that thing I don't want to do. Yes. 
And as long and the harder I try to resist it, I might resist it for a month or for six months or even for a year. But but at some point, the sin is going to wear me down and I'm going to give in again. Does anybody I mean, is there anybody in here who understands what he is saying? Does anybody experience that where you I mean, I don't know about you. And I, and I, I feel like I got pretty strong willpower, but I find myself end up doing the same things. Look what John. Look at John 15, 5. Look what it says. It says, I am the what? Fine. And you are the what? Branches. He who does what? And I in bears much what? Now watch this. For without me, you can do what? No, so why do we try? Stop trying. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean maybe and, and to and to give to give the people of God some credit. I mean, maybe we feel in our minds that our trying is trying in Christ. I mean, maybe that's what it is. So we feel like. You know, I prayed and so now I try. I don't, I don't, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. But I mean, the word of God is very clear that we can't save ourselves. We can't get victory. We, we are, we have no power in ourselves to resist sin. Doc, I want to lose weight. Yeah. I want to lose weight. Uh, what y'all laughing at? Anybody out there want to lose 10 pounds? Raise your hand. Who wants to lose 10 pounds? All right. How do you, how do you lose 10 pounds? Somebody tell me. Huh? No, no, right, no, Pastor. Start, no, no, start pastor, exercise, pastor, huh? pastor. If you want, if you want to lose ten pounds, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. And I'm standing with you. Pastor, took ten me pounds. To, okay, ten you want pounds. to lose ten pounds? Now, now. Everybody who's standing wants to lose ten pounds, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So lose it. Lose it right now. Lose it right now. No, no. I mean, it's your body, right? And, and they want to do it. And you want to do it. So drop the 10 pounds right now. Hey, drop it tomorrow. Why, how, come, wh- how come you can't drop it? Who can drop 10 pounds right now? Why you can't can drop you? drop it right now? You can drop 10 a, pounds right this layers. second. Take off a few layers. Somebody said go to the bathroom. <laughs> Your whole heart gonna come out if you're gonna do that. <laughs> Go ahead, Pastor. I mean, why why are you unable to drop 10 pounds right now? Somebody talk to me. He said you gotta work for you it. You gotta work for it, okay. You're not moving around, what? It's a process. Okay, okay, okay. What? You, okay, okay, I'm gonna leave that there. Okay. <laughs> um, um, so you want to lose two pounds, but you recognize that you can't do it right now. It's a process. If, if, if losing weight is a process and you can't do it right now, how is it that we believe that victory over sin can happen right, right now? Or, or, or let, me go, let me go another way with it. I mean, it's your body. You own it. You've been in it your entire life. Can't you just kind of like just trim the fat and just drop it right now? Can't do it. <laughs> I mean, if I could, I would. <laughs> we, we all would. Now, now I know there, there are some of us who actually exercise. Right. And we still can't drop 10 pounds. Right. So my man said over here, if I work harder mm-hmm. by exercising, I ain't lost no weight. What's, what's the problem? I mean, at the end of the day, you have no ability to lose weight. Let me, let, me, let me try to deal with this thing. Let that simmer for a second. I can't just say, Seth dropped 10 pounds. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. I have no ability, no power, no control over myself right now losing 10 pounds. However, what I can do is I can create an environment where my body will begin to lose this weight. But I have no control over it. In fact, as he just said, there are some individuals who they, they exercise and they run, but just because of a, 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 a physical, biological condition, they are unable to lose weight. Their metabolism is too slow. Not in the traditional way. Right, yeah. not, not the traditional way. Right. And so no, even though they, they're trying to do things, they still can't do it. And what I'm saying to you today is that when it comes to losing weight, it's just the same way when it comes to your to sin in your life is that you have no ability to stop sinning right now. But what you can do is create an environment around your life where you can experience victory in your life. If you're with me, say amen. If it's clear, let me hear you say amen. Let's illustrate. Watch this. 
if you don't start where God puts you in a place where you fall flat on your face, mm -hmm. if you don't have this experience right here, you'll never get to a place where you give up. Because you'll be so confident in what you're doing and so confident in how you've been doing it and so mm. confident in the church you've been going to, so confident in your position, so confident in your Bible knowledge and so comfortable that it just really ain't that bad. I'm telling you, I just don't believe that you can be saved unless you get to a point where it is that bad. You've got to know it's that bad. So when God does that, then you begin to give up the fight and let God do in. Somebody say in. in. Salvation is an inside job. The Bible says... Out of the heart flows the issues of life. Every negative thing that we do is based on how we think and how our hearts behave. Now, let me ask you this. Can you change your heart? Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us the, the, the what does it say, the, the, the leper can't change his spots, can't change his spots. nor the Ethiopian his skin. How then can one who is accustomed to doing evil do good? It's impossible. And so we have to come to a point in our Christian experience where we recognize the battle's not mine, Lord. It's yours. And so if I'm going to experience victory in my life, it's going to be because you brought victory into my life. It's not anything I've done per se, Lord, but it's me just relinquishing and me just experience the victory of Christ inside of my life. We have to get to this point. And, and he put up there, and the only way that we can get to that point is by, is by experiencing the baptism of God's spirit in us. Where we have to fully surrender. We say, God, I want you just to live inside of me. And this is what God does. And we serve such a, an awesome and a mighty God. God says, when you invite me into your life, this is what I do. I come in, but I don't come empty handed. I bring my righteousness with me and my holiness with me and my victory with me. And I bring my riches and everything, my peace. Christ brings all of those things which belong to him. He brings them inside of us. And so I recognize it's not my righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness because Christ is dwelling inside. Right, now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look, I've heard that my whole life. How many okay. have heard that their whole life there? Christ is going to live inside of you. Invite mm. Jesus into your heart. He stands at the door and knocks. And, okay. and if, he, if any man comes into my, you know, listen, that sounds real good, Pastor. Mm. And I, I mean, I can shout on that. I mean, really. I mean, that sounds real good. He's going to live in me, his righteousness. And I mean, he will, the power of God will dwell in me. But that just don't make sense to me. I cannot okay. logically get the idea of something invisible coming in me. And now you're telling me, give up the fight. You're saying, don't even do anything. Matter of fact, Ephesians says, just stand. Mm. It says, when you've done all you can, then, then just stand. Doc, you gotta, you got to talk to me. What actually happens when the Holy Spirit starts living in me to get me to stop looking at okay. porn, good. to stop beating my wife, to okay. stop lying? To, how, how does that work? I mean, I hear you. That's a, good, that's a good question. So let me give you the reverse as an example of how the adverse works. Um, how many of us in here have ever listened to, let's say, Lil Wayne? Be honest with yourself. Okay, all the front row right here. All right, those who want to be honest. How many of us have ever listened to some Marvin Gaye? I should see a lot more hands. Come on now, talk to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 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 and and in listening and listening and listening to this to this Marvin Gaye. Let's let's what's what's the song that Marvin Gaye sings? <laughs> Sexual healing. Come on now. Marvin was our inspiration. <laughs> so, so, you're, so you're listening to this Marvin Gaye, and he's talking about sexual heal. Come on, I'm not going to go there. Uh, yeah, I don't want to take y'all back. So, so, so you're listening to this Marvin Gaye, and as you're listening to it, and you're listening to the song, all of a sudden, you just feel this sense like you just want to start getting it on. <laughs> Let's get it on. I mean, I know, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, with, maybe you're with your wife or a young lady, and you say, "Man, let's just let's just change the atmosphere real quick." And so you turn on some soft music, and the whole atmosphere changes. And all of a sudden, the things that you weren't necessarily intending on doing, you find yourself. Come on now, be honest with me in this place. Oh, so oh, oh, oh I'm not done yet. I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, now. okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. pause it now. Dude. You can take me all the way down this road, all and right. I, you gotta talk to me now. All right. So you're saying. That if I, if I, if I, if, if I, if I enjoy that stuff, I'm listening to it and then my body automatically responds to what I'm listening to. That's exactly what I'm saying. That means that the music is talking to me. It's a it's natural, it's, it's a, it's a it's, natural response. It's natural. And not even so much music. How many of us have ever hung around people who just got a foul mouth? I mean, they just got, like my mama said, you just got a potty mouth. You, you know anybody like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got a potty. Yeah. 
got a potty mouth. And, and it's funny, have you ever been hanging around them and then you find yourself one day slip up and say something? But look, how, how did anybody start cussing? They heard somebody cuss. They heard somebody cuss. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is a natural, your actions, your response, your everything is a natural byproduct of what you expose yourself to. So when you expose yourself to Marvin Gaye and sexual healing and Little Wayne, expect that the things that they're talking about and the things that they're doing, you will begin to do. And so my point here is that when you expose yourself to the life of Christ and to the righteousness of Christ and into the acts of Christ, the natural response is you will begin to mimic and act the exact same way Christ does. Can I, can I, can I, can I give you a text? Yes. Hold on. Did y'all just, that was really good news. Did you hear that? Everybody say it's natural. And that's why we're saying don't fight because, listen, the principles of unrighteousness, the law of unrighteousness, the law of the spirit works the same way. It's natural. Watch this. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. Second one. We got a few more points and we'll let you go. But I'm having a good time tonight. I don't know about you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want victory, somebody shout victory. 2 Corinthians, are y'all there? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Amen, amen. Verse, uh, verse, verse 17, verse 17, verse 17. Yeah, there we go. The Bible says, now, read y'all. Now the Lord is the what? And where, ah, come on, come on, come on. Read this thing. Now the Lord is the what? Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Oh, y'all ain't saying like you. There's what, everybody? Now watch this, but we all with unveiled face, in other words, our faces are uncovered, we're no longer hiding from God, we get to a place where we're totally naked before him, beholding as in a, pastor, you look in a what? Mirror, in a mirror, mirror, the glory of the what? The Lord. Are being what? Transformed. Into the same what? From glory to what? Glory. Just as by the spirit of the Lord. Can I translate real quick? This is the natural principle that pastor your Lord is talking about. By beholding we become changed. Keep putting your life, keep surrounding yourself with the things of God and eventually you're going to start looking like what you surround yourself with. Whatever you contemplate on is what you will become. Whatever you study, that's what you're going to learn. Whatever you engage in, that's what you're going to become. You can't, that's why we tell, listen, there's nowhere in the world I could have looked at porn and called myself pure. That's right. Look, and let me just throw this out here. There's some kids right now, and I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm just telling you that God's honest truth. There's some kids right now that honestly believe that I'm not, as long as I don't have penetration, then I'm still a virgin. As long as a penis does not go into a vagina, then I'm still a virgin. But if I do oral sex, you're, you're good. I'm good. I'm just informing you. You may not know that, but that's happening right now. Now, let me ask you a question. The Bible says that, 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 that adultery has been committed already in our hearts. See, the issue is our heart. And that's why God says that we've constantly got to expose ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we are beholding the glory of God. And notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, he says, and are being transformed. Somebody say transformed. Transformed. Into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, we just keep getting better. We keep getting more victory. We keep getting stronger. We keep getting more focused. Well, we keep getting more power. But, but but what does it say? How are we doing it? How are we doing it? Just as no, by... Dude. Oh, man. By, by going to church. No, no, no. No, no by no. being an elder. No, no, no. It, I'm just, pastor, so I can get glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So you mean just because we're pastors, we, we don't have more access to glory than no everybody access. else out here? No access. By who? What does it say? By the Spirit of God. So you're, so, so, you're, so you're beholding the glory of God and you're focusing on the life and the person and the presence of God. And the more you behold God's glory, it, it's, not, it's not something you're trying to do. Does an apple tree try to bear apples? Does an orange tree try to bear oranges? Does an orange tree have to say, come on now, you, you can do it now. Come on now, pump those oranges out and start working. Does an orange tree try to bear oranges? So why is it that a Christian should have to try to be righteous? Right. Does a sinner have to try to sin? Mm -hmm. What you did last night, did you have to try to do it? Come on now, talk to me. 
It was just a natural response of, the, of, the, of your state of being. And so it is that when you are just beholding God's glory, the natural response is righteousness. It is not something that you are digging your heels in and white knuckling trying to do, but the spirit of God is just automatically working in your life. Okay, check, check this out. Check this out real quick. And then we're going to move on. We got to get out of here. Watch this. This little statement says religion says this. And most of us do good at religion, the church thing. You know, you, you paid your dues. You're here. I heard the pastor. People can ask you after what was over, what was said. You don't really know. But this is what they say. They say, religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So most of us were trained to think that if I do the right thing, if I obey, then God will be pleased with me. By the way, God told Jesus, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before he did anything. Jesus ain't healed nobody, ain't he raised nobody, nobody from he preached the dead, no sermons. turned no water into wine. The very first I think thing. it's a good time to tell, listen, I don't care if you sleep in a, uh, listen, let me, you could be looking at porn, you could be cheating on your wife, you could be using crack. You could be worshiping the devil. Watch this now. God always accepts you. That never changes. The only thing that changes is whether you accept him. So religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But relationship with God says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. So my motivation is not... It's not to, I got to please God. I got to do the right thing. Your motivation is God has just been so good to me that I can't help but respond. It can't help but respond. It's the natural. Somebody say natural. Natural. In fact, touch two people and say natural. 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 It's a natural response of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So because you recognize the grace of God is upon you and you are a recipient of God's divine mercy, the natural response is for you to do those things which are pleasing to God. Let's, go ahead, go let's ahead. end here. Let's read that statement and let them go. We, yeah. We'll share the practical stuff tomorrow. Um, the last thing you need to know is this. And we've, th- there's a reason why this is last. Should we, we set it up first? Generally, we put it first. Go ahead. So, so, so someone's saying, okay, pastor, I hear what you're saying. Natural response automatically happens. Does that mean that I don't have to do anything? I can just sit there and, and I'll just naturally become holy overnight? No. We, have to, th- we are co-laborers. Which word did I say? co-laborers. What does that mean? That God is working in us, empowering us, strengthening us, and as God is working in us, we are responding to God's works in our lives. We've got to cooperate. We have to cooperate. We are responding to God's working in our life. It's like these people I know who uh, doctor tells them, uh, you know, this is your condition and you need to take XY medication, and they don't take the medicine. And what we're saying is, that's kind of what we do to God. God says, listen, I got a solution for your problem, but I need you to cooperate with me. Watch this now. The third thing you need to understand is you need to engage the will. What word is that? Engage. Engage. Put that statement on the screen. Let's illustrate like this. And this will should be we, should before we put the statement, should we just break it down? Just she needs like? to put it up now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead while she's putting it up. Put Engaging the will. What is that? What is engaging the will? Take, 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 take it off for us real quick. I want, I, want, want you, I want you with me. Joining in, okay. Engaging the will. What's that? Okay. What does it mean to engage the will? Say what? Put in motion, okay. Make a decision. Make a choice. Follow through. So essentially what we're saying is that God is doing something marvelous in my life. And I am just, I'm beholding the glory of God and I'm beholding the character of God. And I, and I sense the spirit of God moving in my life. And then God comes to me and God speaks to me concerning a relationship I'm in. Now, God is not going to break me up with that person. <laughs> Come on now, talk to me. God is not going to go into your refrigerator and take all the unhealthy food out. God is not going to go into your CD collection and just start breaking up CDs. No, no, God is not going to do that. Now, he could, but he's not. But what God will begin to do is begin to speak to us in our hearts. And he speaks to us. He begins to change our taste buds and change our desires so that now we recognize that, man, I have some CDs I probably shouldn't be listening to. Or I'm in a relationship that's not edifying to my person. And and God, what would you have me do this? And God's saying, I would have you leave. I have you turn right or turn left or go straight or, or back up. And as God speaks to me, I engage my will and I put into practice that which Christ is telling me to do. And no matter, and this is, I can't wait to show this, no matter how weak your will is, the minute you make a decision, 
All of the power of God comes to your weak, sorry That's decision right. making and then gives you the power to accomplish. Put this hold, 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 hold on, before you go, go both Pastor and I, as we just testified, at some point, God told us to do something. In my experience, God said, tell somebody. He said, tell my wife. He said, tell his wife. At some point, we heard the voice of God and we say, okay, God, now I have a choice to make. I can either stay where I am and not experience victory, or I can follow my Savior's leading. And that's what Christ is trying to tell us, that we have to follow our Savior's leading in all areas of our lives. Go. Put it up. You take a page, I'll take a page. Read it. It's, uh, is that the first page? Feeling the terrible power of temptation, the drawing of desire that leads to indulgence. Many a man cries in despair, I cannot resist evil. Tell him, watch this now, tell him that, that he can, that he must resist. He may have been overcome again and again, but it need not always be thus. He is weak in moral power. How many can, 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 can witness that? Controlled by the habits of a life of sin. His promises, her promises, and resolutions, I like this, are like ropes of sand. <laughs> the knowledge of this broken pro- of this broken promises are forfeited pledges. Anybody made a promise, God, if you just get me out of this, I'm not gonna do it again. God, I promise this is the last time I do this thing. It's the last time I'm gonna say it. Forfeited pledges. Now, the, the minute you start making those promises and you break them, this is what happens. It weakens the confidence in your own sincerity. And causes him to feel that God cannot accept him or work with his efforts, but he need not despair. Anybody tried something and you kept doing it over and over again, and then you got to a point where you start questioning your own sincerity. I must not be serious about God. God cannot accept me. Go ahead, Pastor. Those who put their trust in Christ are not to be what? Come on now, read it with me. Not to be what? enslaved by any hereditary or cultivated habit. That means the hereditary are those that I got from my father. The cultivated are those I just picked up from my boys. And I practiced. And I practiced. Yeah. Hereditary or cultivated habit or tendency. Instead of being held in bondage to the lower nature, they are to rule every appetite and passion. How many? God has not left us to battle with evil in our own finite strength. God has not left us to battle with evil in our own finite strength. Whatever may be our inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrong, we can overcome through the power that, is, that he is ready to impart. Through the right exercise of the an entire change may be made in the life by yielding up what everybody the will to Christ right. we now I'm about to get I'm about to shout in a minute we ally ourselves with divine power mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean we right. hooked up now that's right. that's I'm right. not putting myself right. on that's this right. thing that's now right. and the word says we receive strength right. from above to hold us what everybody a pure and noble life, a life of victory That's over right. appetite, victory That's over right. appetite is possible to everyone who will unite his weak, his, right. his, his weak, unwavering, unwa- wa- oh, wavering human will to the omnipotent, unwavering will of God. What did y'all hear that? In other words, I, and I don't know about you, I'm weak, any weak folk in here. I'm weak on a whole lot of stuff. God says, take that old weak commitment that you always give me. He said, give it to me. He says, and then I'll unite my omnipotent power. That's right. With your weakness. And when omnipotence gets with human weakness, then God can do exceedingly, abundantly, and above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. But first, God's got to expose you. He's got to put you in a crisis. you got to give up the fight. And then you engage in the will. If you start here first, I got to do better. I got to try harder. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if you start here first, Spiritual this burnout. is false righteousness. That's right. It's actually what we call self-righteousness. Yeah. 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 Because you are the center of your righteousness. 
and you're not depending on the power of God and the grace of God and the righteousness of God to come into your life to give you the victory. In fact, I go so far to say that 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 we have to get to this point where we are totally dependent. So in my Christian life, I say to the Lord, Lord, you know, I'm struggling with thing. Lord, if you don't give me victory, I will not experience victory. If you don't come in and strengthen me, God, I will not be strengthened. In fact, Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through who? Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. If you look at the original text in the Greek, it really says, I am made strong through the one who strengthens me. I am made strong through the one who strengthens me. So that Christ comes in and he gives us the strength necessary. It's not my own. I recognize it's not me doing it because I've tried all my life to do it. You know why Christ does this? Because Christ knows that if we are able to do it on our own, when we get to glory, we're going to stand on the street of God. And we're going to say, man, look what I done did. (laughs) I done made it. I done overcome. I I, I, I got the victory. But when Christ allows us to get to the point where we recognize that there is nothing good inside of me, there is not one ounce of strength that that can overcome sin. And when I step on the streets of gold, I take off my crown from my head and I cast it at the feet of Jesus because I recognize that it was the grace and the grace of God alone that got me here. Not my strength. I I have a question. I have a question. How many of you tonight have a weakness toward doing right? I mean, your stuff, your, your spiritual muscles are weak. And by the power of God tonight, You want God to give you strength. Listen, he says, I'm not fooling with folk that think they're strong. The only thing I'm taking is weakness. Because omnipotence will not work with false omnipotence. Omnipotence will only work with weakness. Pastor, I think it's a good time to to ask some folk. And we're not going to make this easy tonight. There's a reason why we've been doing all this stuff. Some of you tonight are weak. And whatever you've been trying, I, don't, I mean, it doesn't matter. You've been spiritually failing. You've, you've put up the facade. You know very well. BJ, come and play. You know very well how to do the religious thing. You know very well how to make things look all right. But God says, I want weakness. I want you, I want, I want you to acknowledge how jacked up you are. I want you to give up. And then I want you to take the little that you have and put it in my hands. Here's my appeal. There's a sin or sins or stuff or whatever that you are failing at getting victory over. And tonight, you want total victory in Jesus. You want to give up and you want to surrender your weakness to him. It could be sexual temptation. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, it doesn't matter what it is. At any rate, you cannot be saved if you do it on your own. If you do it on your own, you're saying, I don't need the one who has the power to get me through in the first place. But the minute you admit weakness, I do have a problem. I do have an issue. I am weak. God, take my little weakness and put your power to it. God says, omnipotence happens in that moment. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Weak people like myself and the pastor. I want to invite you to stand up by acknowledging your total need of God. I want you to come out of your seat. I want you to come down here tonight just admitting and acknowledging that you need him tonight. I'm not through. I'm not through. I'm not through. Mr. E.